0: Welcome to the Thinking Practitioner Podcast,
1: a podcast where we dig into the fascinating issues, conditions, and quandaries in the massage and manual therapy world today.
0: I'm Whitney Lowe.
1: And I'm Tel welcome,
0: welcome to, to the, the Thinking, Thinking Practitioner. Practitioner. And this is Whitney Lowe, and welcome to the Thinking Practitioner Podcast, where we are supported by ABMP, the Associated Bodywork and Massage Professionals. ABMP membership gives professional practitioners like you a package including individual liability insurance, free continuing education, and quick reference apps, online scheduling, and payments with Suite, and much more. ABMP's CE courses, podcasts, and massage and bodywork magazine always feature expert voices and new perspectives in the profession, including those from both Till and myself. Thinking practitioner listeners can save on joining ABMP at abmp.com forward slash thinking. And speaking of ABMP, I am absolutely delighted to have Les Sweeney with us here today as my guest. Les, welcome to the Thinking Practitioner podcast. Thank you very much, Whitney. I'm delighted to be here. Really appreciate it. And for those of you that don't know, Les, let me make sure I got this correct. Your uh, title, Les is the CEO of the Professional Assist Corporation, but probably best known as the president of ABMP, the Associated Bodywork and Massage Professionals. Is that correct on your title there, Les? That is correct. That's right. what
1: uh, I I I purport to be, and that's what the business card was printed with. So that's All what right. I'm sticking with.
0: That's what you answered to. So great. Well, I wanted to um, take some time today to talk about in one of the most recent epi- uh, issues of Massage and Bodywork magazine that uh, ABMP puts out, they had an, a, a, sort of a, an overview of a survey that you all have been doing for a number of years now about educational programs in the massage and bodywork professions. Can you tell me a little bit about the history of this of this uh, survey and evaluation that you all been in? How long has that been going on?
1: Yeah, actually, I'll tell you a uh, funny anecdote about that that will demonstrate my uh, length of time with the organization. We have a new person working in our marketing team who does some of the analytics, and we were working on this project, and they brought me into kind of as grandpa to look overlook the old stuff or Oops. make sure it's following the same routine as usual. And she said, this is really interesting stuff. And I said, oh, I'm glad you think so. And she's like, how long have you been doing this? And I said, since before you were born. <laughs> and she started laughing. And I said, no, seriously, since before <laughs> you were born. <laughs> we did our first school census in 1998. And is that
0: uh, right? I didn't it, realize it had been that long,
1: huh? We, but every other year. Yeah. We do it in this in, in the beginning of the following year. So we did it in 99 for the 99, 1998 enrollment yeah. totals. And so we did it. We've done it every two years since then. So, mm-hmm. yeah, this this latest one was the one that we wrapped up in first quarter of this year, contacting all the programs uh, and asking them basically, how many graduates did you have in 2022? So- mm-hmm. Yeah. So if memory serves like this 24 years, I think that's t- that means it's the 12th or 13th iteration of this that we've been doing. So
0: Yeah. So you're essentially in this survey too, you're looking at the number of massage programs that are out there and then the number of graduates per program and some other things about you know breaking down those programs. Are they you know, trade schools, pr- uh, proprietary schools, that kind of thing? Is that, is that correct?
1: Yeah. One of the things that we did a pretty long time ago now, but we categorized, one of the things I wanted to do is categorize in our database. We keep a database of all training programs because somebody graduates from a program and joins and we have to verify their training, make sure Mm -hmm. that they're, you know, went to an approved school and that they have their licensure, et cetera, for for eligibility, for membership and so they can qualify for liability insurance as Mm -hmm. well. Um, And so a long time ago when I was uh, just a wee lad and I was, of leading the charge in terms of working with schools i wanted to have a better handle on what types of programs there were and so these are my uh better or worse my categories that i basically identified which were proprietary schools which is term i used for what i would call mom and pops that Mm -hmm. historically were single campus programs started in as, as you well know, back in the day, especially, were started mostly by practitioners. Right. Yeah. And they, they, you know, in so many of those schools from, from long ago, all started the same way, which was they didn't, somebody didn't sit out and say, I'm starting a massage school. It's like, they said, I had clients who were interested. I started talking, we talked, I started doing small programs or I did some little bit of teaching. And then one day I looked up and I was a school you know, right. and I had to get yeah. approved by the state and do all this other stuff. Oops. So there are a lot of those programs that are still around and, Oops. um, But one of the trends we've definitely seen over the last two decades plus was um, the advent of what what I characterize as career institutions, which I I would define as schools that offer massage therapy programs in addition to many times dozens of other types of programs. So it could be cosmetology, but it could also be uh, HVAC or it could be um, all sorts of things. And they were typically for-profit schools and as you well remember. It probably 15 years ago where it really hit its peak and there were yeah. a lot of programs because in the grand scheme of things of launching education programs, massage therapy, I think generally was relatively low cost because you weren't, you know, you weren't having to put in a, a, a big factory machine or something like that. You bought tables and you yeah. either... Licensed or hired uh, a curriculum. You found a therapist who might be interested or had something to, you know could do this. So you could roll out a massage program in a relatively short period of time. Mm-hmm. So that that segment really mushroomed late two thousands, early twenty tens or so. Um, I'll t- I'll circle back to that in a second. Those those are the you know two. Were at one point, the two largest categories, and then there were colleges, and those were. were uh, programs that were offered through the community college system in a lot of states. Some states are more prominent than others. North Carolina had a pretty robust program of a lot of community colleges offered massage therapy programs. Um, there are ones that I call corporate schools, and this was along the lines of what used to be Utah College of Massage Therapy that became Cortiva. um, that where they were, uh, Kind of a different animal because they were for the most part just massage but they were multi-campus multi-state kind of national networks um maybe not as broad nhi in california for example hasn't really gone nationally but they're kind of a similar similar yeah. operation mm-hmm. style as well and there's probably one other one that i'm not thinking of but uh, those were the those are the primary areas where their programs and for a long time proprietary schools the mom and pops were the were the largest And it started to shift around the end of 2000s, 2010, and there were about 400 plus career institutions, and there were 500 plus massage programs. And this is back when there were as many as 1600 programs in the in the country. Yeah, and you know we we keep track of this because, as I said, we to process a membership, and also because we want to have relationships with schools. So we mm-hmm. we stayed pretty on task with this. Um, but every two years, when we do this. Census it kind of serves a couple different masters. One is it helps educate the field about this is where the trend line is as it relates to education. It was also a means by which we can clean up our system and make sure that you know if we hadn't had regular contact with somebody in a while, are they still there? You know, are they still operating? Are they graduating program? You know, students, etc. But what we've seen in the last 10 years is that career institution sector has really atrophied its mm-hmm. down. I didn't forget what we put in the magazine, 150 or something like that, from a peak of over 400. Yeah. And that was surprising to me because back then I remember saying, you know, I remember speaking at our school school forum one year and I, the title was, Will the Wolf Survive? It was like, hey, is this a, you know, is the individual single campus mom and pop school going to make it? Mm-hmm. What I didn't realize at the time looking forward was- they were going to make it because that was their life's work. And just as easy as some of these career institutions rolled out a massage program, they rolled it right back up when it yeah. didn't when it didn't pass muster. And it's funny because I remember one time I was visiting a school. It was it was a career institution. They had a bunch of different types of programs. And I was meeting with a campus person and I was just trying to explain to them who we were, what we did, et cetera. And I was asking questions, trying to learn more about their program. And they said we don't have a massage program director. And I was like, Oh, really? She said, Yeah, we. I mean, we only have 95 students, so it's not you know, it's not like we need uh, you know somebody on site keeping track of that. And I thought to myself, uh, and they're about at the time I was thinking there are about 800 schools that would give their IT to have 95 students. <laughs> like, you know, this, and if you and if you had 95 massage students graduate last year, you're probably in the top 10 percent of all programs. I mean, it's it's changed a lot. You know, there were yeah. times where. Yeah. As you and I know we we have friends in this field who ran schools that graduated 400 students a year or whatever, and now there may be some school that graduates 150 or something like that. But it's just changed, and
0: yeah. and I, I think
1: that's you know that's kind of an interesting idea or, or you know thing to chew on to say why has it changed so much? And I used to think that why why are things going down? Why is you know what's going on? Are people people don't like massage? Is it the viability of the career, et cetera? And I think there's probably some challenges related to the nature of the career. And I, I like to tell people massage therapists have not figured out how to speed up an hour. Mm -hmm. And that is still the currency by which they all operate, you know, no matter how great you are, you might be the, you know, you might be the Whitney Lowe massage therapist. You might be a fantastic massage therapist. You might be fresh out of school, but your job is still defined in many cases by time. Yeah. And that's a challenge for people because there is that that creates a uh a, a kind of an upper bound as it relates to your capacity to earn and your capacity to do the work. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a natural governor on the field. But I also think when I look back at the change in that time frame was I, I kind of explained it like a lot of programs just rolled out and then rolled back up because it it wasn't as lucrative as whoever was deciding to do it thought it was. Yeah. And I think that's why. So when I look at the number of graduates and you think there were 70,000 graduates in massage programs in 2006 or whatever the number was, um I think there is some hand wringing about that. Why can't? why can't we be like that? And it's like, we'll never be like that because we probably shouldn't have been like that in the first place. Yeah, but That's the issue. Yeah. I think there's a natural level that we're probably settling into versus looking at it as a failure of some sort that we don't meet those go-go days of, the uh, you know, before the big shift. And I think that's, I think that's part of the reality.
0: Yeah. Do you think, uh, I've often wondered this, if there's a, seems to be a, a correlation or parallel between the time frame in which there was a kind of a, a crackdown from the government on um a lot of these for-profit institutions because of the loan repayment processes and the difficulty of of students getting out from under these and getting viable jobs i mean do you think that played a role in the in the collapse of a number of these programs
1: i think it probably did but i also think you know i mean and and the interesting thing is that's not over you know, that's yeah. still happening and less so massage, but certainly in cosmetology, there is a there is a concerted effort to push back against the gainful employment rules. Mm-hmm. But that's been happening for a better part of almost ten years. I think the Obama administration first kind of triggered that in 2013, 2014. And um I think that's there's certainly an aspect to that. But I think it's a little bit like um, you know, if if you're a shortcutter, um you probably got negatively affected, but there was a little bit of a sweep that hit some schools that I think probably it shouldn't have. And it just made, made life difficult for them. And I think it changed enrollment patterns for sure. Um, But I think, you know, the, the other aspect, one of the things that, that our mutual friend in Williams used to be our director of education, uh, she and I would talk about too is one of the things that the massage profession, the massage education profession, didn't do a good job of was anticipating the interest and desire for remote learning.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And it's amazing how many schools got religion when COVID hit because they didn't have a choice, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, just like a lot of businesses. But um, But we were just behind the curve compared to a lot of other vocations that might be at some of these, uh, training institutions, um, even 10 years ago where, mm-hmm. you know, we, we have been very, you know, pet in the sand is too strong of a statement, but we have been very resistant to rethinking the educational model in massage. And as you well know, the, the, the path of professional development in massage has been dictated by the regulatory forces mm-hmm. and that's rather than maybe the education field leading it, it's been the other way around. And I think that's been part of the challenge as well. So some provincial thinking about training has probably also challenged some of that Has probably it, it contributed to that decline of, of enrollment as well. Um, yeah look at it now and say, we're, we're turning back, you know, it's really hard to do analysis and gain perspective when looking backward through 2021, 2020, it's like everything, it's like, it's like opaque, it's like the frosted glass and you can't really make things out as well because yeah, COVID
0: just was such a monkey wrench
1: for, for every, not just massage education or massage, but just for all of us.
0: Yeah, okay. by by all means, it it really does become an asterisk in in the statistical books because it just uh, there's a lot of things that just have to be taken in in context like that. Right. So uh, yeah, um, I want to get back to a couple other things. You know, um, you and I probably laughed about this a couple times at the time we were at some of the P school forum meetings. Uh, you know, I spoke at a couple of those meetings trying to bang the drum about the importance of. Uh, digital education and those kinds of things early on and it was yeah interesting to see the frequent uh sort of backlash and and non-participation from folks because they there seems to be kind of an anti-technology trend in our field and i I thought you know this is something that's going to come around to be a problem later on because it's not going away it's going to it's going to come and it's going to be a much bigger part of our lives and I would like to you know kind of bump everybody in the direction of thinking about the future but um right. So right. not always the way and it is. The, it, it the turns official out. I
1: told you so. Yeah, that's right.
0: So. <laughs> yeah. When but he was other, right. People yeah. should have listened to him. He was right. That's right. They'll put that on my gravestone or something, but uh, <laughs> Yeah, but the other thing I wanted to go back to and this is again something that I believe you and I probably had some conversations about over the years that has troubled me extensively about this huge bubble that we saw in the growth of programs in the, you know, early 2010s and everything and and late, you know, late 2000s. Of and, and this is something that Ann and I talked about, Ann Williams and I talked about a lot also at the, at the school forums the the troubling trend that we saw of uh, a lack of appropriately trained teachers to staff all of these uh, programs that were promulgating everywhere and, and you know, hey. booming and everything like that. And to me, what that's produced is a big bubble of practitioners in the field who didn't really get very good training. And I really saw this happen a lot as a continuing education instructor over the years of uh, people coming into our our programs and being very surprised at what they just really didn't know and what they hadn't grasped from their injury level education. And um, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on, uh, do you think that that trends now that the number of programs are going down and and maybe we might have put some more emphasis on uh, education, especially like, you know, with the stuff that you all have been doing at ABMP with the uh, Cornerstones Project and the, the school forums and all the other things that you've been putting together for educators, might we be able to see a, a reversal of that where people are getting better training now because there's not so many programs out there? Like I think it
1: has to have had an impact uh, in terms of just, you know, take take even the, the specifics of our field aside, just just the macro effects of that rapid of a growth um, just puts a strain on the infrastructure period, no matter what. And, you know, when I, you know, I went to massage school 2004 to 2006 in a very small program. And um, I was probably one of those people that, you know, the, the, the instructors I had were well-intended and very nice people and they were practitioners. They weren't instructors. Mm -hmm. And I always kind of equated to what I training i got is almost like folklore yeah no it was like i'm it's passed down from the elders Mm -hmm. this is how i was taught it and i'm going to teach you this so yeah so it becomes a little bit of a game of educational telephone too Mm -hmm. so it's like there is a there is a degradation that happens no matter no matter how hard you try you're not you know if you you know for us oldsters if you recorded an album on a cassette and then you copied the cassette and then you copied the cassette another time it definitely didn't sound the same as the album yeah. And right. um, that's, I think, a little bit of what happened. And I remember in, in our own experience, just being out interacting with schools and meeting a gal who graduated from the program like eight months earlier, and she was now the teacher, you know, and I yeah. was like, uh, you know. Um, so yeah, I think that it happened. I think there's a change to a certain degree in that I think. And, and we've tried to do that, you know, we try to put our money where our mouth is to say, well. Part of our focus needs to be, you know, and and Bob Benson, our chairman and, you know, you know, well, and I've worked with for the last 27 years, you know, he came to me and said, I think there's opportunities for us here. And I said, hundred percent. And we also looked at it from, a, you know, just from a turn down theory of the sense that what do we all want? We want a great experience for the consumer. Okay. Yeah. So if you just take a step back from that, you say, well, that means we need to have a really qualified professional. How do we get a qualified professional? Well, hopefully they went to a good program and that we've, you know, we've taught them and we've challenged them and it's been a rigorous curriculum, et cetera. So if there are any, any, you know, weak links in that chain, we're not going to get the end result we're looking for. And I think, I think there's been more focus on that. And we looked at it and, you know, yeah, it was, I appreciate the comments about Cornerstones. That took us a while and it was, um, important, and you know, this started 15 years ago with instructors on the front lines and and putting together curriculum and teaching and you know providing content for instructors to help them be better in the classroom and our Instructor 101 series, and then we moved on to Cornerstones, and it's like, yeah, it's a 25-hour program. It's 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 not something you breeze through. It's meaningful, and hopefully, it's helping because we also know that one of the one of the 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 it's not a downside it's just the realities of the popularity of massage expanding is that the the variety of clients you see is expanding yeah And the conditions and also you throw that on the backdrop of the macro environment of uh the american you know the typical american in their their current state of health and uh fitness and you know etc and i've my wife and I just consume the blue zones on Netflix. So I've I've been I've need to get off this call and go eat some beans and squash and corn for the rest <laughs> of my life. But um, uh, but you realize just you're going to see a lot of different types of people with different types of conditions and different types of you know pharmacological challenges or interactions and things like that. So I think it's just gotten a little more complicated because I think in part partially it might be my own experience just oversimplifying things, but you, you know, I used to think about the typical client was somebody who's fit and they're, you know, running a 5k and doing all this stuff. And that's not necessarily the case and probably hasn't been the case overall, that lots of different types of people in all walks of life really appreciate the value of massage. And thank goodness for that, because it is something that hopefully more and more people are, are exposed to and, and want to be part of. But that just puts more pressure on us to say, yeah, we got to make sure these people who are actually provisioning the work know what they're doing. Yeah, and as you well know, there's a lot of different aspects of that: credible mm-hmm. thinking, um, side manner, and customer service, and you know, basic human decency and manners and consideration. And then throw on top of that all the important elements of running
0: a business that you have to do well. So yeah, right. There's a lot. There's a lot that goes into it. Yeah, for sure. For those people who may not be familiar, let me just also make a quick note here. The Cornerstones Project is um, some a group of courses put together by the ABP, specifically aimed at massage educators to help teach them about teaching. Um, you know, I you know I'm a passionate evangelist about education, and this is something that I think has really been missing a lot in our profession for a long time. Is to train some of these practitioners who come into it. Most of them who are teaching in these schools come into it from the standpoint of being a practitioner, not from being an educator and not having any kind of background in education. And so that really does help to have some some kind of skills and, and awareness around those things that make you a good teacher to be able to relate things to everybody. Well, and, and
1: I distinctly remember saying at one forum when you were speaking, I said, Whitney could read the phone book and make it interesting. For those of you younger listeners, phone <laughs> books were these giant pieces right. of paper that where you yeah. found what someone's phone number was, but, um, uh, it was Google and hard copy basically. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, right. uh, um, yeah, it, that, that is such a critical skill. Um, and as you know, it's, it's probably more art than science mm-hmm. uh, and it's also something that you get better at through experience and reps. And my youngest son's girlfriend is a brand new middle school science teacher and, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, she's, 23 and has an adult job and then just walked into a classroom with 13 year olds a few weeks ago and yeah. just was expected to be an expert on day one. And so yeah, it's been interesting getting the reports over the last four weeks of like, from I'm about to die to, okay, I, I can do this and I'm feeling a little better, but yeah, that happens whether it's middle school or massage school or any, any, any time you have to get up and purport to know what you're talking about to present to a group of people. And so, yeah, I think there's there isn't a teacher and i think you know i've been very fortunate enough to interact with a lot of the best teachers in this profession but i don't think there's a teacher out there that is done or knows everything or is is, has not you know has had every experience it's like we all we're all learning every because the student is changing so Mm -hmm. therefore we have to adapt The student's different today than it than the student was 25 years ago Mm -hmm. and one of the things i talk about is When I first started to go out to massage schools and I would ask, I would get the opportunity to speak to a graduating class or classes. And I would say, how many of you plan to go start your own business? And like 80, 90% would raise their hands. Mm -hmm. And now if you do that, I think it's the opposite because in 1998 or whatever, when I was doing that, there wasn't a massage envy or an elements or a hand in stone or a massage heights or my salon suites or whoever, you know. Uh, Woodhouse or any of these places that are hiring and are are hiring tomorrow. Like I tell people, I'm like, if you're a massage therapist and you're licensed and legal, you can work tomorrow. Mm-hmm. There isn't a place that would say, no, no, I don't need you. Everybody needs somebody. Yeah, and and that's a you know that's a very different environment than it was when when I first started talking to students who yeah. were basically in their late 20s or early 30s and they had already had a bit of a career and now they've decided they're going to go do their own thing but they're going to keep their other job and ease their way into it and all that stuff and it's like it's just a different environment and also during that time I've gotten a lot older so mm-hmm. I've uh, I, I've had to adjust my thinking as well gotcha. because it's like yeah oh wait they don't seem a lot younger they are mm-hmm. a lot younger
0: yeah so. I want to touch on that for a sec because I think this is a this is a huge trend shift. Um, and I would agree with you that that there's been a big shift towards more towards the employment model uh, versus the the um, sort of solo practitioner model. And I'm curious to hear your input on this in terms of the way in which practitioners may or maybe the the clients and the public who are receiving our care, um, might be receiving things differently or does this have a, have any kind of impact at all on the on the way in which services are delivered that people are thinking of themselves now more as employees doing a job versus in the older days when it was like, it's all about you got to be successful because this is your business. There's like a, a bit more ownership in that kind of model, I think sometimes. Oh yeah, I, I think 100%
1: and I think it's impossible and that's not imputing the character of the people who are employees but I just think it's, that that's like that in any profession and the other part that i think happens is that that i think there there's not all certainly i think you know i've i've i get massage as often as i can and i get them at uh franchise locations and independent practitioners and people who are hobbyists and people do it for full time and because partially i feel like I never wanted to be in a position when somebody said, you're the president of ABMP, when was your last massage? And I go, ah, I can't remember. I'm, <laughs> like, I'm supposed to be the number one proselytizer for this stuff. So yeah. it's a tough job, but somebody's got to lay on that table. So that's what I do. But well, um, I
0: also, I want to interject here and say kudos to you from early on, from many years back, because you, if I remember correctly, you had this position with ABMP and after that went to massage school to really learn about this field that is correct right that time for yeah timeline.
1: yeah i actually started abmp in 1994 and mm-hmm. uh and when bob came on in 1996 um we started we basically set up a school relations program and i was the lead person on that and it was about in 2003 i came back from i was visiting a school and i went in to see him and i said i think i'm going to go to massage school and he said what are you talking about i said I'm gonna be in charge of this organization. I think I should be, you know, I, I think it's important for me to understand who our members are and what they've been through. And I said, I think yeah. it'd be valuable. Yeah. And I remember when I was talking to our uh our controller at the time and she said, Is this a calling or a project? And I said, It's probably somewhere in the middle, basically. Yeah. But uh-huh. yeah, so I mean I was I was I'd been here for 10 years before I went to school. And mm. uh it, it it was incredibly illuminating for me. And yeah. even though I've never really been a practitioner, um, I, I have, you know, I had four clients for a while Their all their last names were Sweeney. They were terrible tippers and <laughs> they would, they would tell you that uh, he was not a very consistent massage therapist either. Yeah. So, uh, I was still have my table, but yeah, <clears throat> it's rare that I would do something. And I never, I mean, I did my, you know, I, I'm still licensed in Colorado and I did my clinic work and all this stuff, but I just never kind of pr- hung out the proverbial shingle.
0: Well, I'm I'm um, curious to know with that experience what what kind of like were the things that that sort of shook you the most surprised you the most what were the most significant takeaways from that experience that you saw about getting inside the field from from somebody just, who has been managing it.
1: It was funny because, as I said a little bit in school, I went to a very small school, and I had a friend of of mine, the late Dennis Simpson, who was the owner of the Carowinds School of Healing Arts, which I would still maintain as one of the best programs in the country and it's been for 25 years. And I told him I was not going to his school and, and I explained to him because in Evergreen where we are, there was a small school and I was like, look, I can draw a line between the office and my house and I can go through that school and doing this because it's important but I'm doing it because I'm going through the process. I'm not looking to go to the best school possible. I was looking mm-hmm. to go to a school so I could get the experience. Yeah. So my school was very small. It was quaint. It worked well for me. Um, it was it was just really helpful to meet people. You know, I met the typical students. Like I met the, you know, one of my friends was this gal who was 19 and wasn't sure what she was gonna do with her life, you know? And at that point I was, 37 or something like that or whatever. And, you know, I was pretty well established what I was going to do in with my life at that point. We had three kids, you know, so I was, I was like an adult, at least on paper. And, uh, mm-hmm. um, it was just a really interesting experience to meet the people who were there because as we, we hear the story and we tell the story over and over again, everybody who ends up at a massage school is on a journey mm-hmm. and, and for they're there for different reasons. They, they had experience in their life that had helped them or they're just in transition and they're not sure what they want to do. And they, they don't fit into what mom and dad wanted me to do for school or I've been working and I'm, you know, 30 and I really like this and I'm sick of working at a bank or whatever the answer is. So it was just a great exposure to interact with people in a way that I didn't, I didn't always get to do in the office. And I still don't. I mean, I. I talk to members almost, you know, every day in some capacity, but I'm not in their office. I'm not practicing with them or, so it was just, it was helpful to go through that experience in that regard. And even then the interesting thing, I, it gave me great insights when I would talk to a group of students, because I would be like, I understand what you've gone through. And, and I was usually like draw on a whiteboard and I would make like a little chart where I'm like, you, you come into school and you're nervous. Cause you don't know any of these people and you have a general idea about massage. But you, one thing you probably know is, oh my God, I'm probably gonna have to take my clothes off. Uh, mm-hmm. And so that seems weird because I had never had to do that in school and now I have to do it. Whatever. And then you get comfortable with these people and they, you get this great bond with your classmates because you're working on them and you're interacting and you're sharing stuff and you're, and then you're comfortable and like, okay, we're going to practice. And then we switch and I do this, or whatever and you do, all that. And then, then clinic starts and it's like the terror starts all over again. I'm like, I'm going to have to deal yeah. with this with people. Who are strangers from the yeah. public? And I remember my first couple of clinic sessions thinking, like, oh my God, you know, I, now I have to work on this, this strange person or whatever. And then and where we are at evergreen it's a pretty well off area but we would have a steady stream of people because i used to say you get 80% of the massage for 50% of the price like back then i think the student clinic was like 25 or 30 bucks had mm-hmm. so all these people plubbing their mercedes to come get their half price massage because they're like yeah i can come twice a week or once a week because i you're you're good enough and i I'll, i'm paying for frequency right. not not as much quality or whatever and uh but you go through that exercise and then i'm like okay i got this and then you you know clinic kind of starts to build a report you meet the same people or you know you feel confident and then i didn't get to the last step which was and then you got to go do it again with strangers that you don't know and you have to get them to pay you money and you don't have this sign out front that is drawing people in that you're you're all on your own Mm -hmm. and i just always that always resonated with me like and then especially because i've been involved in regulatory legislative issues since i've started here too that always gave me an acute insight to say I'm really concerned about the, – there was definitely a diplomism push, and I was – I'm not by definition a libertarian by any stretch of the imagination. But I was always very keenly focused on saying we need a we need some level of regulation but not a amount of regulation because getting out of massage school and starting your career was such a function of momentum. Isn't. Mm-hmm. And way back when – It took forever to get your license. It took forever to take the tests and all this stuff. And I was like, these people have just spent at that time, probably three to 5,000 bucks to go to school. And now they're just kind of withering because they can't practice yet. They're in this zone. So I was, it just kind of sharpened my focus to say, we gotta, you know, we gotta do whatever we can to make these hurdles shorter for these people so they can get out there and start practicing and earning a living. Mm -hmm. And some of that's changed. And we, you know, we probably- deserve a little credit for some of that. But, um, but yeah, it's, I think those barriers aren't quite as big in the same way as they were at one point. And yeah. so that's a lot what I, I took from it. And also just that, yeah, it's, as I said, when we started an hour is still an hour yeah, and body mechanics is really important. And there were, there are a couple of days in clinic where I did four, you know, I did four massages in five hours. And I'm sure if someone was listening here, they'd be like, huh, I call that Tuesday or whatever. <laughs> but, um, it was a lot and i just yeah. had a much greater appreciation and the other thing i learned about myself and it's been reinforced over the years is i am extroverted and our clinic our little clinic was small to the point where there'd be time where i'd be maybe the only person working and then like the clinic director would come in and all, and you know on and off but i was just always struck by the fact that somebody would pull up walk in and they were getting half undressed as i was saying hi and trying to do an intake form getting on the table then they'd get out and they'd stagger out and leave. And then the next person would do the exact same thing. So like, I would feel like I was almost in timeout. Like mm-hmm. I was like, I, I make my living talking to people and yeah. it's hard to be in a massage room for an hour. Yeah. And nobody to talk to. And I would be like, after I did it for like four straight hours, I'd be like, man, it's like, I was just sent, it sent to my room and wasn't allowed to talk to anybody or something. So that was, that was the other, that was just a great insight in my own, for my own life. I was like, I never thought about that, but this feels stifling in a way because I I did the work and I was okay at it, but it wasn't like my creative canvas. Like some, I think a lot of therapists, that's their that's their happiest place. And yeah. for me, I was like, I'm doing this, but it feels like I've been muzzled and that's not who I am. So that was, yeah. that was kind of an interesting, just self-reflection that I've learned from it as well.
0: Yeah, I wanna shift gears a little bit now and ask you another thing that's sort of along those lines. You know, ABMP has done a whole lot over the years to really um, get a lot of your members and, and just all massage public in general, access to a lot of the um, educators and people who are doing really innovative things in our profession through your webinars, the articles and the magazines and all these kind of things. You've done a lot of stuff to get um, outreach so you can connect people with those kinds of things. But back to what we were talking about with education and making it accessible, for uh, a lot of the practitioners, I really am in agreement with you that there's uh, an importance of getting people into work soon after their training programs to be able to do the types of things that they're doing. But we also have this really challenging split personality thing in our profession of sort of the two tracks, one of the sort of personal care wellness oriented massage and that of people who are doing more that might be you know, look more like operating as a healthcare professional. And I've always sort of advocated that I think our initial training in massage school does a really good job of preparing people for that first track, but not for that second track. And from a, both a legislative regulatory arena and also, you know, running a professional organization, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on, you know, where you see like the what's ha- gonna happen in the future or what kind of trends might be happening to try to better prepare some of those practitioners who are you know wanting to work within those models but um, you know educationally honestly i think we're ill prepared to do that without some more specific types of training and you know there's been all these debates about well should massage become a degree program or should it require an advanced credential or should it do you know, some of these kinds of things and those are all obstacles that block people from being able to practice certain types of things but it also becomes a big Public relations nightmare to try to make a distinction. You know who's got what type of training, and how does the public know what to pick? And I'm just curious to hear your your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, and this is probably this is you know the world according to less, not necessarily the official ABMP policy position. But and and you've you've written on this, and and we've had some of that in the magazine as well. But um, I I always. I came to a conclusion at one point and i talked to our friend Ann about it a little bit, but, uh, um, I almost think that, and, and my, my thinking has evolved over time, but one of the things that's disappeared in the last 20 years is the apprenticeship model. Mm-hmm. And I think that's been whether, covertly or overtly, I think the, the mushrooming of the number of programs basically squash that. And I think regulators also crave consistency. And Uh one of the things we talk about in our system and our, just running our business, our database, you know, we have counting our steam care and hair and associations, you know, sister associations, we have, you know, 120,000 members and we have I don't know, 400,000 contact records for people who've been members of time, or whatever. And the phrase that, that can sometimes be the bane of our existence is edge cases. Edge cases are the tail that wags the dog, right? Or, you know, 98% of your data behaves in a certain way in the last 2%. It's, uh, you know, we have, we have about 5% of our members belong to more than one of our associations uh-huh. and we have to go through so many machinations to accommodate those people. Yeah. Ninety-five right. percent—they're easy. They all line up in the right direction, right? Mm-hmm. And I think there's part of it that's there's there's an aspect of that related to education. There's there's kind of two things I think about. One is the macro kind of macroeconomic issue, which is at this point I don't have hard data in front of me, but I think my assumption still hasn't hasn't decayed just yet, which is that the the high percentage of prof- professionals in our field uh, operate in cash and carry. They are getting paid with disposable income from their clients that, that in one respect, our competitor, our competitor is, uh, every other thing you could spend your money, right? Mm -hmm. It's, It's not the other massage therapist, it's eating in a restaurant or going to a movie or, you know, your phone bill or what, all these other things that people have discretionary spending on. And so. In most of those people, as we talked about before, the, the complexity of clients has probably increased. But most of those people have a certain expectation going to massage and stress reduction or relaxation, which I would still argue are probably the two most important health benefits related to massage therapy that are most in need of addressing in this country, which are <laughs> uh, reducing people's stress. Uh, mm-hmm. Certainly, um, but um, but there's so there's a large chunk of people that. The, the current training probably n- meets most of the expectations for it. But then there's a segment of people that need and want advanced care and treatment. And there's a segment of professionals who want to have that as well. It's absolutely not a 50-50 split. It is a very, yeah. I think it's a very small percentage of people that, that, that massage, you know, of massage therapists that need, want, or, or pursue advanced training. But the challenge is we've had this regulatory regime that has also been, you, you know, has been the, the billy club, uh, to fight off human trafficking and prostitution and the, the, unfortunately for our field, the, a lot of times the regulatory efforts have been viewed through that prism, And so we have this kind of block of educational training that's required. And then we leave it at that, and then it's like you're you're on your own. Um, and to the point, the point I would make is that, and and we haven't done ourselves in the field a great service in this process as well, because in 2006, January 2006, I graduated from my little program, and eight weeks later, I was nationally certified. Mm-hmm. And I remember one of my staff coming in and go, hey, "I have a question for you uh, about this," and it was a technique oriented question. And they're like, well, you're nationally certified. So I figured you can answer this question. I said, at the time, I think there were 249, uh, rough estimate, like 249,000 massage therapists in the United States. I'm like, yeah. I am the 249,000th most qualified therapist <laughs> to ask this question of because I have this, uh, you know, this is, it's like saying, you know, it's like asking a 16 year old to, to drive a NASCAR. I'm like, yeah. no, 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 that what, what the state has decided is that person is, barely capable of doing this. Okay. Yeah. And that's what regulation is. Regulation yeah. is saying this person meets the minimum standards to make sure that they're not a menace to society. Yeah. And after that, you're on your own. Mm. And so I don't, I've never been a fan of saying regulatorily, we, we should have a branch that's, you know, a super user, you have the super user license or whatever, thing like that. I actually think that we should be letting people practice sooner. But Mm -hmm. then we should have a hybrid apprenticeship program and then a branch, a branching off where you can go do more. But I think one of the things we haven't done and the National Certification Board hasn't done is has established what that advanced credential might look like because they're board certified. It's kind of a black box and it's a little bit like a lifetime achievement award. And one of the things that I, one time we were talking about something I said to Ann, I said, we need to have certification in low back pain, or we mm. need to have certification in blah, blah, blah. It's like, rather than uh, somebody's name technique, the Sweeney technique, mm. I need certification in treating someone with a condition because yeah. conditions are what people have. They want treatments that apply to conditions. They don't need to know whether the Sweeney method helps that or harms it. They need to know what is the solution for this. Yeah. It's not like we prescribe an antibiotic and we say, Oh, it's okay. You're going to have erythromycin and we're operating under an assumption that the doctor knows what erythromycin is. And it's, it's the right answer here. Mm-hmm. But so, so I feel like we've created a barrier. It's expensive to go to massage school. You come out, we're in some ways better than we've ever been because there is an employment opportunity in front of somebody right away. Um, but. We're also asking somebody now to go to school anywhere on average, probably six to 750 hours of time and spend somewhere between eight and $12,000 and decide whether they like it or not. Yeah. Make and you know, there's a little bit of, Hey, in, in America, we have an economy where you just roll the dice and you hope it works out. But it's like from a consumer protection standpoint, I would love somebody to have 300 hours and be able to work under a controlled environment for three months or whatever the time is, nine months, and if you don't go back and get the rest of your training, then you're you're out of luck. But at least you've had a little bit of try it before you buy it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I have the right answer there, but I mm-hmm. feel like there's an aspect of that that lets people engage, move into this, and then the next step you would build upon that would be to say, okay. You made it through phase one and you like it and you finished your phase two and now you're a full fledged regular person a you know, regular therapist now if you want to go to the next level you got to have to you're going to have to get an approval through a body that recognizes uh, that's done the work that says these are the areas of con- you have concern or these are the area you know the hospital-based network says you have to meet these expectations then those are the ones you should you know work to meet you know, right yeah I think that's i think it's hard it's we we haven't set our, you know, we've, it's a little bit like we, you know, we expanded the house without the benefit of an architect. And then we walked out in the front yard
0: and they're like, whoa. Yeah. We just put that bathroom out in the backyard. That it's probably like, should have been closer to the, where the plumbing is. So, looks a little bit like an MC Escher house after a certain Yeah, exactly. Point, right?
1: yeah. It's the, it's, uh, citing all my important, uh resources it's like the the uh the episode of the simpsons where they build the homer and homer makes the card it's just this monstrosity that has no yeah. continuity it makes any sense and i always think right. that's, that's one of the ones that i think about
0: yeah oh we look back oh that was interesting you know we got there so well uh les lastly i want to ask you to put on your nostradamus predict the future hat for a moment and right in the context of what you all have seen over the course of the last several decades with this survey and analysis of education programs and the trends that you've seen happening in the profession, are there any significant sort of things that you see on the horizon of directions that, that we would maybe want to pay attention to or, or any significant changes that you see happening in, in the way things are, are going in the field based on these trends that, that you all have analyzed?
1: There's two things I think about. One is if you listen to, you know, you watch the news, listen to podcasts, all that stuff. I don't think AI is coming to replace massage therapy. That's the good news. Uh, I don't think we figured out what to do yet.
0: I do wonder if there's a role for it in education. For Mm -hmm. sure. I think there will be. Um, As the education technology guy, I'm going to say yes. Yeah, I think there should be.
1: And I think there will be. Um, Yeah. And uh, I think that. What we'll see, like the big picture the you know, part of the reason we're talking is what's the trend line look like for schools and enrollments. I think it's going to keep coming back a little bit, but I don't, you know, if it's at 23,000 or whatever the number was, I don't think it's ever going to get to 40,000 unless something materially changes in terms of what the, you know, even, even if there are, and there certainly are in, in employer environments right now, you know, especially in the franchises. So there's, there's better part of 1,500 to 2,000 employers of massage just in the big four franchises. Um, they're not all made the same, they're franchises. Some of the franchise owners I've had members tell me are the greatest things in sliced bread. Some of them think they're terrible bosses here's a little secret. I've been managing people for 30 years. Some people think I'm a pretty good boss. I'm sure there are a handful of other people that don't think so. So there's, there's just, you know, that's data. There's the distribution here. So, um, but even those who work for the most enlightened and, and progressive thoughtful bosses, the massage is still hard work. And, um, so there is still a constraint or a limit to what people can realistically um do and therefore earn and therefore it, it manages you know we, the, the good news is we get people who love this work you know yeah. people, people aren't in it just for a quick buck period because they love it and that's what makes it special um i do think we'll see more um i think i've, I've been surprised uh at the level of demand but demand has been you know consumer demand is good i think it's indicative of the uh kind of income inequality as a society as a whole, I think people can afford it, who can afford it, do it. And we don't have a, we haven't figured out a way to get it to more people who can't afford it. Yeah. Um, So I don't know if I see something changing other than I think um, we'll continue to hopefully give people the opportunity to have access to it and help those who are doing the work continue to do the work because one of the things that I worry about is that we interact with our members on a daily basis and we, we reach out to members whose membership has expired. And one of the things I've noticed is that I'm calling more people that are, who are older than me mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm getting older. I'm 56. And mm-hmm. it's like, I'm worried that I want to make sure that we have the next generation of therapists who fall in love with this and do all the good work. Like so many and the generation that's come up from the last 30 years have done so much good work in the field. I, I want to make sure we have the next generation of those, whether they're the thought leaders or the practitioners or, you know, both there's, you know, we need to continue to make sure that it's never going to be easy. Massage therapy is never going to be easy. Mm-hmm. You can get better at it. You can be more efficient. You can you can hone your body mechanics, but I I got a massage recently. I was in California met this wonderful lady. She was in her early sixties and she's like, I've been mean, love doing it, but she's like, I'm, you know, basically I'm running out of hands here. You know? And yeah. and so there's no getting around the fact that unless we eliminate people from the equation, which I think would be the worst case scenario, um it's always going to be a challenge. We're always going to be it's always going to be really hard to find the right people who do want to do the work. It's like teachers. It's, you know, whether it's elementary school or middle school or whatever, it's like those people are doing the Lord's work. And Mm -hmm. it's it's never going to be easy to find teachers. It's never going to be easy to find qualified massage therapists who care because this is not the, you know, this is the road less traveled, right? This is the harder work. And, but that's what makes it special. And that's what makes those people special. So my job, like turn it back to our view, is how do i how do i grease the skids for those people how do i make it a little bit easier for them to be a massage therapist and like what they do well that's that's what we do you know it's our that's our job i always explain to to our uh staff i'm like i have 80,000 bosses and uh you know yeah. we're here to make their life easier
0: right yeah well you know I, one thing i just want to say is that your your dedication to that vision of doing things for the members is something that shows through with the organization. And I just want to, you know, say it's noticed by all of us out there and thank you again for all the work that you've done over the years with ABNP for the profession of trying to, you know, make sure that people get the best experience, both the, the clients consuming it and the practitioners who are out here, uh, doing the work. So, uh, we certainly appreciate that. Well,
1: I appreciate the nice thoughts and, well, uh, uh, likewise back at you for all you've done for this field for, and working with us and, uh, uh, you are absolutely, whether you admit it or not, I know you would, because that's not who you are, but well, you're on the Mount Rushmore. I hope you know that. So yeah, I've, I've I'm made, sorry. I got a good deal. Uh, it's not South Dakota, it's North Dakota. Okay. Um, yeah. but I got this nice area that I'm working on. I've, uh I've got some staff with chisels and we're out there working on it. Yeah. Right. I, I haven't revealed the other ones yet, but you're definitely up there. Okay.
0: So. All right. Well, thank you, Les, again so much. Les Sweeney, president of ABMP. And Les, thanks so much for joining us here on The Thinking Practitioner today.
1: Loved it. Thanks so much, Whitney.
0: Great. And thank you all for joining us here on The Thinking Practitioner, where Books of Discovery has been a part of massage therapy education for over 20 years. Thousands of schools around the world teach with their textbooks, e-textbooks, and digital resources. Books of Discovery likes to say, learning adventures start here, and they see that same spirit here on the Thinking Practitioner podcast, and are proud to support our work knowing we share the mission to bring the massage and bodywork community enlivening content that advances our profession. You can check out their collection of e-textbooks and digital learning resources for pathology, kinesiology, anatomy, physiology at booksofdiscovery.com, where Thinking Practitioner listeners can save 15% by entering the word thinking at checkout. So thank you all so much for stopping by and listening with us today. You can stop by our sites for the video, show notes, transcripts, and any extras. You can find that over on my site at academyofclinicalmassage.com and then over on Till's site at advanced-trainings.com. If you have questions, comments, or anything you'd like to hear us talk about, please just drop us a short email, info at thethinkingpractitioner.com, or you can look for us on social media under our names. You can rate us on Apple Podcasts as it does help other people find the show. We certainly do appreciate that. And you can hear us on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Podbean, or wherever else you happen to listen. So please do share the word and tell a friend. And once again, thanks so much for listening and we'll see you the next time.